Tonight, um, I want to begin by turning to Philippians chapter 2. You don't need to turn there, but I'm going to turn to Philippians chapter 2. I want to read something to you. Philippians is in the New Testament, and it was written by Paul. And he has this great statement, which was probably a hymn that was sung in the church. Philippians chapter 2, verse 5 through verse 11. I want to just read this. He's speaking to the church. Your attitude should be the same as that of Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to grasp, but made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man. He humbled himself and became obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. I just want to call your attention very quickly to the 11th verse. It says, And every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. When you see Christ, just think King. So Jesus, King Jesus is Lord. When the early church was beginning to form in the first century, the kingdom that ruled everything was the Romans, and they had this phrase, and that was that Caesar was Lord. Now, usually that would just mean that Caesar was due some respect. If you said, you know, a certain person was Lord, you weren't saying they were God. You were just saying they deserved a certain amount of respect. But when Caesar was called Lord, what we were saying and what the Romans were saying is Caesar is God. He is the God. So for the Christians who were beginning to form their community in the first century, their first creed, the thing that they held on to was that Jesus Christ was Lord. That was their first statement of faith. In fact, in 155, there was a AD, there was a guy named Polycarp. And he was 86 years old. And he was probably, at least legend has it, one of John's, the Apostle John's disciples. Now, Polycarp was burned to death. In fact, the people who wrote about Polycarp's burning said it didn't smell like flesh. It smelled like wonderful bread being offered to God. I mean, our ancestors, the people who planted the Christian faith and were following Jesus had some interesting ways of talking about things. But the reason that happened was because Polycarp refused to say Caesar was Lord. And so he stood staunchly against that, against what the culture said, and said, no, Jesus is Lord. Jesus is God. And from the very beginning, our faith, as a, if you're a follower of Jesus, if you call yourself a Christian, is what we would call a creedal faith. We have creeds. And you have heard, if you've been here at any time, the Apostles' Creed over and over and over again. Because at the village, you hear me say that the Apostles' Creed is our statement of belief. It's what we believe as a community. And that we don't compromise on it. Now, 
I've got some interesting questions about that. First, though, I want to stop and show you this slide. Um, what will be exciting about this slide, you can see that it's all puzzle pieces. And as we go on a 13-week series on the Apostles' Creed, the last time we'll have the Apostles' Creed all put together. So it'll be fun. Um, and you can thank my daughter for putting that together because she's awesome. Um, thank you, Ashton. But, you know, I get a lot of questions often about the Apostles' Creed and why it's our statement of belief and we don't have any other statements about anything else. Like in the Apostles' Creed, there isn't anything about our end-time theology, what we think is going to happen in the end. In the Apostles' Creed, there is nothing about creation and evolution and how they work together. In the Apostles' Creed, there's nothing about the inerrancy, the authenticity, or, you know, anything about Scripture. Right? We could go on and on. The Apostles' Creed doesn't seem to address any of these, Eric. So, really, do you have a statement of belief? Well, let me put it this way. The Apostles' Creed means nothing if it doesn't come from something that's inspired. It means absolutely nothing. It's just a statement. Okay? And this is why I like the Apostles' Creed. I want to read to you... Um, I'd like to read you 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17. I keep reading this in sermons because I love this text. But this is Paul again, and he says in, in verse 16 of chapter 3 of 2 Timothy, he says, All Scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness, so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped to do every good work. Here's why I love saying the Apostles' Creed is our statement of belief and that we don't have these extended things. It's because the Apostles' Creed is simply a reflection of Scripture. The Apostles' Creed means nothing if I don't believe and you don't believe that this book here is inspired and is the testimony of God. Okay, So what happens when we say the Apostles' Creed is our statement of belief, we actually say, guess what? we really have a well-defined argument about creation and evolution. We have a really well-defined conversation about the end times. We have a really well-defined conversation about divorce. So we have a really well-defined conversation about parenting. Why? Because the Apostles' Creed affirms that we believe that this is true and that we hold it up here. And so that when we all can make this statement about the apostles, about Jesus and the Trinity, then we can come in a conversation about Scripture together. So we can talk about all these things, and we have this reference point. Now, let me kind of illustrate that for you. So I know that most of you, last time I asked how many of you have played some kind of varsity sport or some kind of sport in high school? Everybody seemed to raise their hand, and then the few of you who hadn't looked around and quickly raised your hand, right, because you wanted to fit in. Somehow, all of you are used to be athletes at some point in time in your life. Now, I played soccer year-round until I was in eighth grade, and then I played a lot of basketball. I wasn't a great athlete, but I learned some interesting things. One of those things is the more competitive you get, the more stretching you have to do. 
In fact, the stretching seems to become more and more complicated. When you were six years old, you're like, oh, touch your toes, raise your hands. All right, we're out there. We're running. By the time you get into competitive sports, you get other people to stretch you and rub out your muscles, right, and do all this kind of work on you. But you know what's really interesting about those stretching? Now, I know it changes from sport to sport, but for the most part, all the stretching is the same. Certainly, different parts of your body are worked and stretched a little differently depending on the way the sport plays itself out. But in general, stretching is the same. It's the same thing cross sports. Well, the Apostles' Creed, in my mind, is a form of spiritual stretching. You cannot address all of the issues that you will wrestle with in life if you aren't spiritually stretched. In fact, what I think happens if you skip the very simple, simple thing of the Apostles' Creed, of, the, of what it says, is that you become a very myopic Christian. You become very focused on your little pet things, and your relationship with God becomes a little strange. In fact, maybe many of you have gone to, you know, those of you who've been athletes, and then you revisited a gym like, you know, 10 years later. It's terrifying. But there are certain guys who look really weird, right? Because all they do is work their legs, or all they do is work their upper body, and so they look funny. Right? They, they aren't really well balanced. Well, I think the Apostles' Creed is something that God has used through history for basically the last 1500 years to focus the community of God and to exercise the community of God and prepare them if you're willing to look at it that way. It's stretching. So what I would like to do tonight is explain to you how it stretches you, what the important parts of that. And then I want to address what it means to believe. So let's first address kind of the stretching part of this. And what are there are four things, I think, that kind of in the Apostles' Creed, that what it provides for you, okay? The first thing is that the Apostles' Creed provides a reminder, right? Every other week, we come here and we sit. Most communities who say the Apostles' Creed stand, but we're rebels and we have couches. So we sit and we say the Apostles' Creed, right? We're a little bit rebellious, but we're still saying the Creed. And you know what? When we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, when we say that, we're really saying it's not my story, it's God's story. It's not about me. It's about God. In fact, as you read through the creed, what you find is that it places you in what? The communion of saints. Right? You get stuck into God's story. It's not about you. One of the things that the Apostles' Creed should remind you of as you read it and state it with people is that it's actually not your good that's important. It's God's good. Every time you say the Apostles' Creed, what it should remind you of is it's not about you about God. It's a reorientation. The second kind of thing that, this, so you can imagine that being sort of bending down and touching your toes. That's, that, that's what that is. That's the part that that is. Now, the second part of the Apostles' Creed, or the second thing that it does is, it really reminds you that your faith is pretty simple. That at the core, it's really, really simple. And one of the temptations that you and I end up in is to get kind of bogged down 
one in our own just minutia of life. But then as we're following Jesus, we get bogged down in different sections of just how we're hearing his voice or what am I supposed to do or what should I believe about these things or do I have community or don't I have community? Do I like these people or don't I like these people? We have lots of thoughts about God and not. But when you say the Apostles' Creed, it says, life is simple. It is God the Father Almighty and His Son and the Holy Spirit. And here's who Jesus is. Here's who you are. Here's how it ends. It's simple. Pull back. Take a deep breath. Right? Do some deep breathing. Don't get bogged down. Maybe that's your little arm circles. I don't know. The third thing that I think the Apostles' Creed does for us in a sense of spiritual calisthenics is it reminds us that we are connected. Okay? All over the world today, people stood up, very few sat down, and said the Apostles' Creed. They said the same thing we said. Now, if you're like a Green Bay Packer fan, I think Green Bay Packer fans are probably the most fanatic kind of fan. And I'm going to be a very cliche pastor here and use lots of sports illustrations because it works. But the Green Bay Packers, people are very, you know, they're fanatical. Now, if you are a transplant to Tucson and you're a Green Bay Packer fan and you meet another Green Bay Packer fan, all of a sudden you have a connection. They're wearing a hat. And all of a sudden, you assume that you know a lot about them and that you are like friends just because they have a hat and you think you're connected. And if you run into them, like you you ram your car into the back of their car because they hit their brakes too hard and they hop out and they got a Green Bay Packer hat on, you're like, oh, no big deal. It's really my fault. I'm so sorry, right? You feel connected. Well, that's what the Apostles' Creed does. When you say... I believe, which is what creed means. I believe in God the Father Almighty. And someone else says, I believe in God the Father Almighty. You're connected. And what you need to remember every time you say it is this isn't just about the little village and their couches saying the Apostles' Creed because they think they're hip and ancient. Right? None of you actually think that but me. But that's okay. Um, No. It's connecting you to the bigger church all over the world. All over Asia, all over Africa, all over South America. You're connected all over Europe. There are people who fit with you, belong to you. People often say to me, well, you know, is it weird not having the village connected to the denomination? I say sometimes. We're often poor and nobody gives us any money. But outside of that, no, because we're connected to the whole church everywhere. We have people speaking our creed. People connecting. I don't know. Somebody want to say what that exercise is? We got the arm twirls. We got the toe touchers. I don't know. What kind of stretch is that? Pick one. Oh, yeah, there you go. If you lean against somebody else, stretch your leg. Very good. All right. Got that. Now, the, uh, the fourth one is conviction. The Apostles' Creed, I think if you go through every line, it changes your perspective and it should be convicting to you. And let me just give you the one obvious example and how it actually ended up in the Creed. 
It says, when you say this, you say, the Apostles' Creed, you say, I believe in the forgiveness of sins. Well, every time in the early church they stood up and said this after the persecutions were over, this meant something. You see, lots of them had family members who were killed because they refused to say Caesar was Lord. But then there was a whole bunch of people who said, no, I'll say Caesar is Lord. I'll say that. And they left the church. And when the persecution ended, they started coming back. And the people who were like, wait a second, like, our friends died. We almost died. You can't come in here. So the church, in its wisdom, said, no, no, no. We need to put this line in our creed that says we believe in the forgiveness of sins. So when those people are standing there thinking of their relatives who died, and then they, they see families where there was no death because they folded, they understand the forgiveness of sins and what that means and what Jesus means in all of that. So every time you say that, understand that you are saying, I believe in forgiving the sins of the people around me, the people sitting next to me, because I have been forgiven. So I think these are kind of, there are many more ways that I think you, the Apostles' Creed will stretch you, but I think these are four main ways that the Creed will stretch you. Now, before we get to belief, I just want to get at one thing that I think is important about the Creed. I want to read to you um, Hebrews chapter 2, just a few verses, um, starting in verse 1. The writer says, We must pay more careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we do not drift away. Now this picture is about anchoring your boat. Really, I think it's to another boat. But the idea is here of of anchoring yourself to something, like a boat, anchoring itself in the water so it doesn't drift away. Okay, And so... The writer is saying, when we are thinking about our salvation, when we are thinking about what we believe, we need to anchor ourselves to the very basic things so that we don't get tossed and turned. Well, I think, and why I love saying the Apostles' Creed every other week, and why I love these children talking about it to me, is because we're teaching them to anchor themselves in the very, very basics and most important parts of our faith, so that they won't drift away. And that they will be connected to more than just us. So that's why we say the Apostles' Creed. Now there's this thing in the Apostles' Creed that might be a little bit of a struggle. It's, I believe. This word, believe. Now, there's a lot of you in here who have big degrees, um, who can talk about belief and pontificate about belief. And on my little uh, wall in my office, there are no little degrees that qualify me to talk about belief. But that doesn't matter. I'm going to tell you what I think. And hopefully, I'll approach belief in a way where you at least understand where I'm coming from when I say, I believe. Okay? And then, greater minds will expand that. So I want to start first in James. 
chapter 2, verse 19. And this is what James says to some his fellow Jews. And James happens to be the half-brother of Jesus. Which, by the way, if your half-brother rose from the dead and you still believe that he rose from the dead, then maybe we should listen to the half-brother. Because brothers don't like brothers. Anyway. You believe that there is one God. Good. Even the demons believe and shudder. So, I think most of you believe that Abraham Lincoln existed, right? Unless you're one of those people who think that Abraham Lincoln was just a government conspiracy of some sort and that he didn't really exist. He seems to be one of the most popular presidents. We all believe he existed. You believe a lot of things that you've never seen and that you don't really know. And you believe them to be facts, right? You just believe. They don't have a lot of impact on your life, but you believe them to be true. That's not what we're saying when we say, I believe. We're not just, we're not saying when we say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. We're not just, that's not what it means when we say, I believe as a Christian. When you're standing here, you're not saying that. Okay? That's the first thing. Because even the demons believe that God exists. They assent to that. So I want to read to you Romans chapter 10, verse 9 and 10. This is Paul again. He says that if you confess with your mouth Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is with your heart that you believe and are justified, made right, and it is with your mouth that you confess and are saved. You can go do a study about belief, and what you will find in Scripture, and what you'll find in Scripture is that belief primarily has to do with our heart. Right? And part of that is Scripture tells us that belief starts in our heart because somehow our heart moves action. Right? If we believe that in our minds that this is the right thing to do, often we don't do it. In fact, I bet you that right now, if I said, think of something that you should do that you're not doing and keep... There's lots of things that we think we should do that we don't do. Right? We think that's the right thing to do. I will not do it. Right? That's, that is often how we are. We believe. But when belief comes out of our heart, not our red beating thing, Right? But out of the very essence of who we are, we're often moved to action. Right? So belief comes out of us. Now, when you look at the New Testament, I'll just tell you that there are three words that we deal with. Belief, trust, and faith. They all come from the same Greek word, and they're all very confusing to us as people who speak English. Because we don't understand what they mean anymore, or ever did. Right? They're confusing when we say, oh, well, I don't have enough faith. Well, I, I believe, but I don't have faith. But I do trust. Well, I don't know. Right? So, belief, when we say, I believe in the creed, when we're talking about a biblical belief, it comes from our heart, and it literally means to believe into, to lean into something. Right? 
And Jesus explains to us what I think he believes belief is in John chapter 6. He has this really interesting conversation with the Jews, and, and they're talking about if Jesus is God and all those kinds of things. And so we're going to start in verse 46 of John chapter 6. This is what Jesus says. No one has seen the Father except the one who is from God. Only he has seen the Father. I tell you the truth, he who believes has everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your forefathers ate the manna in the desert, yet they died. But here is the bread that comes down from heaven, which a man may eat and not die. I am the living bread that came down from heaven. If anyone eats of the bread, he will live forever. This bread is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Then the Jews began to argue sharply among themselves, how can this man give us flesh to eat? Jesus said to them, I tell you the truth, unless you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. Whoever eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. Now, I know you're all smart, so you know that Jesus was not talking about some weird vampire cult. And he also was not talking about, okay, when I die, serve me up, and everybody who gets a little bite and a little drink is going to have eternal life. You understand that, right? We're all there. We're that smart. Good. Because (laughs) then, oh well. Um, But what Jesus is saying, and this is really important to grasp, is what Jesus is saying is that when you say you believe, what you're saying, oh, look at that cute baby, it's so distracting. <laughs> what you're saying is that I am in relationship with God. When you say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth, you're saying, I am in intimate relationship with God the Father Almighty. And you're saying it this way. Imagine yourself at a swimming pool and you're five or six years old. And all the kids are jumping in, but not you. You're like walking around. You're in the normal belief. You're like, I believe that swimming is fun. I can see that swimming is fun. I can see it might even be good for me, but I'm not going to go in there. You don't believe from your heart. You are not believing into the pool. Right? I'm really funny today to the high schoolers. This is awesome. But when you jump in, you are consumed. And you are consuming lots of water if you're learning to swim, right? Seriously, I'm not that funny. No, that's awesome. (laughs) I'm going to take it. Nobody's falling asleep. Um, This is important to understand, that what you are saying when you stand up, or as us sit down, and you say the Apostles' Creed, is you're saying, I'm jumping in with Jesus. I'm jumping in with God. I am being consumed, and I am consuming 
God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. I am placing myself in the communion of saints. I am standing up for the forgiveness of sins. I am waiting for the judgment to come and for Jesus to make everything right. Right? You're, you're, you're leaning into that. You're beginning the process. Now, let me tell you what that does to community. Because when all of us can stand up and say that, when we face a tough issue, like gay marriage, when we face a tough issue where half of you believe in six-day creation and the rest of you think that the world is a billion years old, when we face the way we understand revelation or how you parent your children or what you're to do about marriage, it's not a bunch of rules. Oh, there are rules. But it's not a bunch of rules. What happens is we have all said we're jumping all in with Jesus so we can have a discussion about all these things underneath His inspired Word because we've done the exercise. We've stretched. And guess what? We, we can love each other and talk and listen and begin to work those out together. And you know what? Sometimes we'll say, you know what? We can't work that issue out together. We can still stand under the creed, but we may need to worship in another place. Right? That's what happens. But the creed holds us together and says, no, I'm not going to hold my rules over you as we look at Scripture and wrestle with Scripture and, and wrestle with our relationship with each other and God. But I'm willing to say Jesus is Lord and I'm willing to embrace His what is inspired to be something that pours out over all of us together. So, I am very excited about the Apostles' Creed these next 12 weeks. In fact, next week, Corey, raise your hand, is going to speak to us. So we're going to have some other people speaking. But we're going to delve in and say, okay, what does it mean for me to say, I believe in God the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth? What does that mean? And what does it mean when I'm saying it from a relationship perspective, not from the perspective of there are a set of facts about God and I ascend to them? Yes. You don't fall in love with anybody, right? But not knowing anything about them, right? Even if it's just you glanced at them and you had like, you know, you fell in love at first sight. You had a sight. There was some kind of knowledge. You don't say, I just have fallen in love with some ambiguous thing, right? There's some knowledge, right? Now here's, here's why I think the Apostles' Creed is so important, and I'm going to end here, is that relationship has to be creedal in this way. If you're married, and if I've married you, I'll remind you of this, that all of you whom I've married, I've said to you, please, the cost of me doing your premarital counseling and my marrying you is that you go out on a date every week, or at least once a month. But every week is my encouragement. I don't care if it's just two lawn chairs in the backyard with cheap wine. You're going on a date, right? And here's what expected of that date is that your relationship should be creedal. Meaning that you begin to reflect, I love you because this I love the way that you do this. I love the way our family is. That you recite it. Even if your dates are the same thing. They're creedal. 
And if your relationship with your husband or wife is a creedal relationship, you do not lose sight of why you love them. But if it stops being creedal, and you stop going out on dates, and you stop reciting why you love them, you lose it. You lose the tether. It's the same with God. That's why I love the creed. Is It's us saying, God, this is why we love you. This is why we're with you. This is who you are. So, hopefully, when somebody asks you, why do you say the Apostles' Creed at the village? You've got it down now. All right? And we're going to enjoy our next few weeks talking about the Apostles' Creed. Let me pray. Father in heaven, thank you so much for giving us the opportunity to just pour out our love for you and to wrestle with that and to have our doubts and to wrestle with what is true. So God, as we eat and sing and pray for one another tonight, be with us and bless us. Ask that in your name, Jesus. Amen.